as we begin, I want to read you something out of our vision uh, that we have as a church. As disciples of Christ, our ambition is to be like him. When we look at the life of Christ, every interaction he ever had was pointing to the restoration of all things. He physically restored the blind, the lame, the deaf, the sick. He socially restored the outcasts and the untouchable. He emotionally restored the possessed and spiritually restored the sinner. Wherever humanity was broken, Jesus restored it. This is how he showed his love and gave hope to the world. And that is what we at Lamar Avenue will do. In all our interactions individually and as a congregation, we will strive to restore the broken, the weary, the hurting, the outcast. We will bring peace and wholeness where there is dissension and conflict. As a part of the body of Christ, we will continue to work Christ began, this work Christ began until he comes again to usher in the full restoration of all things. And so that is, that is a big piece of our vision, the restore piece. And because that's a big piece of our vision, we, we wanted to bring in Larry James today. Larry and his wife, Brenda, live in Dallas area, where Larry serves as CEO of the City Square, which has also made its way here to Paris as well. And City Square is, is an organization that personally and relationally fights that which is causes and the effects of poverty and brokenness. And so I want to welcome Larry this morning here with us because he is going to speak to the heart of restoring all things, which is a big part of our vision. I've been able to hear Larry a couple of times. One was, was at an elder link there in, uh, there in Highland Oaks Church of Christ, and, uh, and he spoke there, and he also, I got to hear him at Tulsa, Oklahoma workshop a few years ago, and both times that I got to hear Larry speak, I was moved by what God was doing. I was moved by what God desired for us to be doing as well. Uh, so let's welcome him this morning. I want to pray over him before he gets going. And I told him he doesn't have to worry about time, that he can just preach the gospel as long as he wants. It's dangerous, brother. <laughs> let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, this time. We thank you for... All of us gathering here and, and turning our attention in on you. I pray that our hearts will not be distracted, but be will focused in on your word and your truth. I pray that you will give Larry the, the energy and the wisdom and, and the passion this morning to speak from that truth, Father. I ask that you will give us ears to hear. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Uh, it's good to be here with you. <laughs> I've made several trips to Paris, Texas this past year, uh, and we'll have more to say about that a little bit later in the days to come. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, pick it up and go to page 526. It should be the same in every pew Bible. Do you ever wonder what God thinks of what we do in our attempts to move close to Him. Over the last four decades, I've been privy to lots of conversations about worship renewal and 
creating atmospheres like we've enjoyed this morning that move us. Leaving feeling as, we've, as if we've been moved closer to Jesus Christ, closer to the goals of our ministry and our discipleship. Deeper into an understanding of the gospel. How do we move one another? But I wonder, I wonder what moves God. I wonder how he reacts. Now, I'll just talk about me. I wonder how he reacts to my shenanigans and to my attempts, no matter how holy they appear or how well-meaning they sound. God knows me. And for a long time, I never really considered so much what God needed me to be up to or what God enjoyed to receive from me. Now, if you look at Isaiah 58, which is where you've turned, you see that there's a hard and harsh message to be delivered to the people of God by his prophet Isaiah. And if you look at the first two or three verses, you have a really chilling judgment. Shout it aloud, verse 1, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. But God's not moving. Has your faith ever left you feeling as if you were a failure? Has your faith ever felt so dry you couldn't find any hope of light or air? Have you practiced your religion? Have, have you been into the disciplines deeply expecting some return on your investment of time and effort only to receive nothing back from God? God's moving in a different direction and away from me, possibly away from you. The Israelites were a people here, Isaiah said, who seek God. They're eager to come near to God. They want to move toward God. They're involved in all sorts of religious practices to substantiate that desire and to undergird that hope. But they come up short. They know there's something missing. They know they're not quite aligned with God. They see God moving somewhere else and they don't understand. He goes on to give evidence of this religiosity. I mean, what does God think of our religion? Why have we fasted, verse 3, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed Oh, Lord, don't you see all the effort I'm putting into this thing called religion? Don't you understand that, that I'm praying and I'm reading Scripture and I'm even fasting? What's wrong? I, I don't know where you are. There's a lostness and an emptiness in my soul that makes it even worse. And so I try all the harder. 
right at the end of verse 3, the text turns on a wonderful hinge that's powerful and convicting because God simply says, you aren't making the right connections. Your hypocrisy drips all around from your religious observances. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, really, and exploit all your workers. You come before the throne of God, but you pay a pitiful wage to those people who make you rich. God says that he cares about that. And that the fast has no meaning if the wage receipts don't line up to equity and justice. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. I'm sure there's never been a fight ever in this church. Never had any conflict. But if there's conflict that needs to be resolved before the fast is continued, we've got to take care of that because God is not moved by my fasting if I'm at odds with you. A long time ago, I served a church in Shreveport, Louisiana. I tell people that I was in Shreveport, Louisiana for two years and 45 minutes. <laughs> I'll tell you about the 45 minutes sometime if you have time. There's a young man who had grown up in that church, and of course I'm a paragon of wisdom at 23, 24 years old. I know nothing. I don't even know enough to be dangerous. I'm just there. And this young man has been out. He was the classic prodigal. And there wasn't anything Jerry hadn't tried or done. But he came to himself. And he came back to the church, and he was counseling with me because that was all he had. And as he was confessing his struggle with God, he hooked a memory. He didn't hang any blame on it. He just hooked it and it came out with lots of other stuff. He said one night after prayer meeting on Wednesday, he saw an elder and a deacon in a fist fight in the parking lot. And he said, you know, Larry, I'm not blaming those gentlemen for that or I'm not blaming those gentlemen for the way my life has gone because of that. But I remember it as if it were yesterday, because we were all friends. There can be no fasting that moves God when there is deep division and conflict. And so equity in the marketplace and harmony in the fellowship become sort of a prelude to the kind of worship that moves God. Because God responds to a different kind of agenda. You cannot fast as you do today at the end of verse 4, he says, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only the bowing of one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? You can make all your religious show. You can cover yourself in ashes. You can sit on sackcloth. You can repent. You can chant. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you don't get life right with others, if things don't line up for those who are at the edges, 
your fasting and your observances are not going to be acceptable to me. And so he gets to the meat of the matter in verse 6. Crystal clear. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. We're surrounded by people who are pressed down. You can drive Paris and you can see it. You can come to Dallas and I'll show you it there as well. You, you, can, you can encounter children who are trying to learn in the context of enduring toxic stress. You, you can see young people whose lives are being thrown away behind felony convictions because no one's there to care or advocate or offer a better way. You can, you can come to my city and deal with the fact that out of the 165,000 kids who go to the DISD, almost 90% qualify for free and reduced lunches, and that signifies what's at home and what's in the community. People are pressed down. And God says, move me by relieving that oppression. Move me by lifting that burden. Move me by getting involved. I talked to a group this past week about a divert court activity we have in Dallas. It's really a pretty smooth thing to watch. The police go into a designated area and, and, and get the really bad guys. And there are some really bad guys. It's always a small number. Three, four, five at the most. But there may be 60 little guys who are caught in that trap. And they have no way out. And they get involved in the, in the, in the same bad road that the really bad guys took years and years before. Except things have changed now because courts and district attorneys are recognizing that the way to remedy without costing everybody a fortune and not solving the problem at all is to get people involved at the friendship basis. And so the DA shows up with the police with warrants in hand to a community meeting where Grandma's there and the pastor's there and Uncle John's there and all the brothers and sisters are there and the warrants are there and the district attorney says and the judge confirms, you got a choice tonight, gentlemen. We can take you behind these warrants and you'll be lost or you can go to City Square and work to get your life back. It's not because we do it. People are doing this all over the country. God cares about that. Because life behind a felony conviction is no life. There are people living in houses in Dallas that have holes in the roof, and the rain has flowed through this week in unbelievable ways, washing out and destroying what little people have had. People are pressed down. God is moved when people are released from that kind of captivity. Verse 7, is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Don't you understand the kind of fast I'm looking for relieves hunger and houses people who are homeless and brings hope into the neighborhoods again? 
then your light will break. The, the return on investment is unbelievable to, to a church. I promise, and I know you're already doing a bunch of this stuff, but if you, if you deepen your commitment to pursuing an agenda that moves God, you will never have to have a public relations campaign to put your church on the map of this city. Because when we worship like we're talking here, your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Your own renewal will become so obvious to everyone around you that people will be drawn to you and to this place and to every place where this expression of worship is pursued to God's liking like moths flying toward a brightly burning lamp. Then your righteousness will go before you. You won't have to talk about anything. People will see everything they need to see about your walk with God. And you'll seldom be in sackcloth and ashes. You'll often be down in the grime of this community doing your thing. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. People ask all the time, Do you guys ever get afraid of where you live and where you work? I've lived where I live now in inner city East Dallas for 19 years. I've never been afraid. And that's, that's really not, a, that's not any tribute to me. That's really just a reflection of our understanding of people. Fearsome things are random. People stay put and become acquainted. And there's amazing power and protection. But behind it all is the hand of God. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard because that's where God comes. Years ago, a 15-year-old teenager who was a member of our church, the Central Dallas Church in East Dallas, church of very, very low-income folks and homeless people and there was a 15-year-old kid named Marco. And unfortunately, Marco had been caught in the crossfire of a drug deal when he was younger. Fortunately for Marco, he had not been killed. Unfortunately for Marco, his vocal cords had been clipped. And so after they repaired the wound, he, he talked with a real deep, gravelly voice, and he was about that tall. And one Sunday morning, Marco walked up to me in his Carolina blue jersey and his baseball cap, and he, he punched me in the chest, and he said, Brother Larry, you need to understand something. I said, yeah, what's that, Marco? He said, don't worry, I got your back. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And Marco Smith was the glory of the Lord that Sunday morning. And I know Marco's worship that day moved God. Maybe the most powerful verse in the Hebrew Bible is 58.9. It's remarkable. Then you will call. And you'll need to call because there's some stuff here you can't deal with. You, you'll need to call and the Lord will answer. 
You will cry for help. And He will say, Here am I. Now, that's the same language as Isaiah 6, where the heavenly beings fill the temple, crying out, Holy, 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 and where God asks, Who will go? And Isaiah jumps to his feet, maybe before he thought right, raises his hand and said, Here, my Lord, I'll go. I'm not worthy, but I'll go. This is God saying to God's worshiping people by these definitions. When you call out for help in the context of this work, I will get up, raise my hands to you, and say, Here am I. Now, I don't have time to go into all this, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen that work out. Years ago, we closed on a 15-story office building in downtown Dallas. We were going to turn it into 200 units of affordable housing, 100 units for formerly homeless, 100 units for those who make under 30000 a year. We were going to put office retail in basement through three. We were going to put our headquarters there. 15th and 16th floors were sold, six condos at market rate. So what we, what we envisioned was a mixed income, mixed use neighborhood in vertical. And we closed on that building, or when we put it under contract, rather, we didn't close. We put it under contract in 2007. We had $2,500 in the bank. Now, I'm here to tell you, None of us did that because we closed. It's open. We opened it in 2010. It's fully functioning. It's full of people who have found home, and we have that community. We need to understand, as our communion meditation so aptly laid it out, the connection between the heart of God, our devotion to Him, and how that is expressed and what the results could be expected. Here I am. If you, verse 9, the second half, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with pointing finger and malicious talk, if you just learn to get along, right? And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Our housing company, City Square Housing, is literally called Noonday Light. CDC. Because of this verse. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. An oasis in the middle of all the Holocaust, the craziness and the insanity of this desert in which we live. It expresses itself in food deserts in my city. I'm sure it's the same in Paris. But when we bring ourselves before the Lord and commit ourselves to doing what He calls us to do, He's going he's to help us. He's going to stand up for us. He's going to be moved toward us. And we'll never doubt that He's there. Because we'll be living 
in an oasis together that blesses everyone around us. I love verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I saw a piece of property in this city the last time I was here and the city manager took us around. It looks like a fine place to worship. That street could be rebuilt for the housing of God's people and for the glory of God. It's not that we think too small. It's just that we don't think in line with who the God we serve really is. (laughs) There are no limits to what we could do in Paris and in Dallas and in Denver and wherever else we went to worship God. There just are no limits. Not because of us, hardly, but because of God. God is alive. And people are dying in oppressive situations. I don't know how knowing what we know about God, we can live with that. We've got to go more deeply into our community. We have to go further with our plans. So we're going to try that here in Paris. We actually have City Square Paris up and running. Ted Henderson, where are you? I know you were here. Stand up with your lovely wife. Glad you're here. If you're on the advisory board of City Square Paris, would you stand up? I know there's some advisory board people here, aren't there? Yes, sir. We, we I'm a, y'all can be seated. We, uh, in Dallas, I don't think it'll be any different in Paris. Um, we, we just wake up every morning and tie our shoes. And we go to work and we work hard. And a whole lot of the time we don't know what we're doing. But we know who we're doing it for. And we quickly learn who we're doing it with. And poor, poor folks have a, big, have a big role in our ministry. We, we, we really depend upon the wisdom and the wealth and the understanding of people closest to the problem. If you want to know about poverty, don't come talk to me. Go find somebody who's dealing with it. Talk to them. You get a graduate education. That's where you get it. So you don't have to know everything. You just have to be with people and stay at it. And that's what we call faith. So in Dallas... As was already mentioned, our mission is simply to attack and obliterate the causes and the effects of poverty through direct service. We're going to help a lot of people this year like we did last year. Advocacy, we're going to help change the rules like in that court I told you about earlier. And friendship. And that, that may be the most important element. It's to begin to develop deep relationships across all the things that divide us 
and keep our worship from being very ineffective. Friendship. Friendship with people who have nothing except all that they do have in their hearts. Our core values are real simple. Justice, stewardship, community, faith. And so we make no apologies this morning, I certainly don't, about preaching from the Word because that aligns so completely with our work. We're not going to require anybody to become anything to get our services. But we're all there because of our faith. And if you want to have a revival, just get up against a bunch of poor folks and let them teach you about the glory of the Lord. A glory they have been dependent upon, have been dependent upon for much longer than I've ever understood anything about this. Y'all are great. God bless you. You're going to see more of us. We, I thank you for the, this church's involvement in one Paris. A city where Paris is growing out of that, of that, out of that effort. And so that's the basis. And we, we know we have great partnership potential here in the city. We don't intend to come in and interrupt anything anybody else is doing. We don't want anybody else's money to be re-diverted to us. We're not going to, that's not what this is about at all. It's about looking at Paris and seeing an amazing opportunity in light of all the things that are already aligned. Paris, Texas is an awful lot like Dallas, Texas. You, you may not think that, but I, but I saw it the first time I was here. The division along racial lines, the division along uh, income and income equity, and yet a desire to be together, a pride about the community, a joy about overcoming the things that scare us. But this morning, my message is very simple. It's that God's with us. We have no reason to be afraid. And while we're doing this, we can understand He's receiving our efforts as worship, the kind he likes. God bless you. I want to challenge us to uh, this week be reading that text constantly in Isaiah. Uh, make that in your, in your daily reading. Just go back over it every day and see what God is trying to, uh, to speak to you in that. One of the quotes that I heard Larry just say earlier was, um, God has moved when people are released from captivity. God has moved when people are released from captivity. I think our calling here, uh, that, that we desire to be a people, to be in relationship with those who are in captivity, to be in relationship with those who are oppressed, so ask yourself this this week. What relationships do you have? And who are they with? Are your relationships connected to people who are oppressed and who are held captive? And what are they held captive by? And I challenge you to, to see if, if you're not, who could you be in relationship with then in order to touch the lives of those who are held captive? But for you and me, we may be held captive by something ourselves. There may be something in your life right now that, you, that is holding you down, that, that is keeping you from a deeper relationship with God and his people. And that's what this time here is for, the time that we call our invitation. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand as, as Stephen makes his way down here. 
but our invitation is a time for just that, and, and it's, a, it's a time that we are able to share with one another, hey, I'm, I'm held captive in something, and I need the church's love. I need the church's prayers. I need the church's encouragement. And so if you have anything you would like to speak with one of the elders or one of our deacons or anyone here, uh, you can come forward at this time.